invite you, if you will. Uh, we started last week in the book of Ecclesiastes. If you're visiting with us today, we, uh, we welcome you and we say thank you for being here. We'd like to continue preaching through Ecclesiastes. Uh, as I get into Ecclesiastes, and uh, we kind of touched on it last week, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 still this morning. Uh, we did the, cover the first three verses last week. Uh, it's my heart's ambition, my desire for you, and my conviction uh, the way that we make disciples is that we would come to understand the Word of God. Um, and we understand that that will put us, uh, so I can kind of give you a heads up, all right? Um, it's going to put us in some awkward situations as far as holidays and celebrations. I want to go ahead and tell you that. Uh, Ecclesiastes is a book that's going to, if you honestly would read through it just from start to finish, about the first uh, 10 to 11 chapters, you'll think, I'm going to need some antidepressants because it is kind of a, um, a unique, unusual book for us, and we want to understand why it's unique and why it's unusual. So uh, what I'm about to say here to our graduates uh, is going to come from the book of Ecclesiastes, but it's also for the entire church. And at some point you'll think, why in the world is he preaching on this? Wait until Mother's Day. I want to invite you to join with us next week in Mother's Day. It's going to be a phenomenal Sunday, and we're going to continue in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a definitely, uh, we would say, an old book that collects older wisdom. And so the, uh, the person that's recording this information is uh, at some point you will see observing the one who had resource and opportunity to practice and live out certain things that was recorded. So all of that kind of puts together for us to see this picture. They're searching for the meaning of life. This is the ultimate idea of the book of Ecclesiastes. They're looking for what is life actually all about? Uh, why? is life the way that life is and and we kind of fall into this idea church uh, if you're anything like i am and the way that i was raised in church we're going to think immediately life is like a box of chuck now that's not it life is uh life is always kind of the the christian perspective that that we've been fed or or been presented life's always good life's always in fact great Life is always filled with joy. Life is always filled with good things. Life always has a, it's a, it's a cloud with a silver lining. And this is what we want to say in church. This is what we want to say to each other as Christians. It's good, it's great, or, hey, at best, it's wonderful. And the concept that we have to embrace with Ecclesiastes is it is a real picture of someone who's searching for the meaning of life. And church, I hope that, you know, again, my heart for us is this. I hope that we can see the Word of God as it is, but I also hope that we can live the Word of God as it is, that we could practice these things, that we could actually see the reality of this. So with that in mind, here's what we find in Ecclesiastes. Yeah, here's what we find in Ecclesiastes. I'll tell you what. Today is a special day. Ecclesiastes, all right? Ecclesiastes chapter 1, all right? Somewhere, graduates, if you'll look down, probably one of you have my sermon notes, so that's great. Uh, enjoy, all right? I've got the, the word here. Let's, let's go with this. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, all right? Here's what we find in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, if you'll join with me in verse 4, and it's telling us the real, the, the real picture of what life looks like. 
the real picture of what life looks like. Now, now hear it, be open to it, church, but here's the real picture of what life looks like. It says first this, in verse 4, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. That's a unique statement we're going to touch on in just a second. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and then goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. That's pretty much what wind does. On its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run into the sea. Hey, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they, uh, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing it, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. You say, man, that's a lot of words. Wow, that's a lot of words. And if I'm picking up any of this, it kind of paints a picture for me of life that has no meaning. So what we're getting into is we look at not one chapter but we look at the entire book of Ecclesiastes, this is a guy, chapter 1, he's going to introduce the concept. He's been searching for the meaning of life. The best place that he can search for the meaning of life is in life. Does that make sense? That seems logical, doesn't it? He says, here I am, and I'm on this earth, and so since I'm on this earth, and we said last week he uses this phrase, under the sun, right? So as long as I'm on this earth, I'm looking at the things around me. He's actually investigating the things around him. And he's saying, I'm looking for meaning to it all. Like, I really want to see something at the end of the assembly line be assembled. That's what he's looking for. So what does life actually produce? What you're going to see then in verses, uh, excuse me, in chapters 2 through chapters 11, he's going to just begin to pick things out for us, church, and you're really going to enjoy that, I can promise you, because he begins to look at things like, hey, I went after wisdom, and I went after sexual pursuit, and I went after partying and celebration, and I went after career, and I went after all these things because these are things that I had available to me. I was under the sun, and I just want to see why. I mean, really, why are we all here? So that's what we introduced last week. This week, he looks at a couple of things. If you would just kind of review the verses with me, and I'm going to try to move through this rather quickly, all right, for the sake of celebration, let's say that, all right? Here's what he says. He observes a couple of things. First, he tells us this. He says that if he's looking at this cycle or this, this enclosure, if you will, of everything that's going on. And he sees that as he's watching all of the things that are under the sun, it seems like it all starts at a place, moves constantly, we said that last week, and then it's going to end up not really producing anything. So he says this, for example, verse 4, a generation goes and a generation comes. So we definitely today, we honor special high school graduates. And I know this was a risky question. We love and we accept you as you are. How many of you graduated high school? 
graduated high school. Let's see some hands. So not the only high school graduates here. That's reassuring, right? And so we see that tends to what, what, what tends to happen for us, if, if we're just kind of bringing this modern day for us, today we celebrate high school graduates, and you guys are special. Next year, about this time, if you would mark your calendar, we're going to do what? We're going to celebrate high school graduates. But if you're planning ahead, and many of you like to plan ahead, in 2020, if you would be here somewhere around the first Sunday in May, We've got a special celebration for you guys. You know what we're celebrating? Yeah, that's the high school graduates. And it seems like, and it's a good thing for us, right? But he says, hey, I was watching this generation that came up, and this generation, we've, we've labeled it, uh, you know, Gen Xers, we've labeled it different things, the, the great generation, we've labeled our generations now. But what we tend to figure out is this, when one generation comes, that generation eventually leaves, but there's another generation that replaces them. And so there's just this cycle, this endless enclosure of there's people, there's a generation, there's then the next generation, then the next generation, then the next generation. Under the sun, that's basically what we can observe. Now, my, now listen, my generation was awesome, says everybody, usually. And so he says, as I'm watching this idea, there are people who tend to live life they reach certain stages and then they move on that's one of the main themes of ecclesiastes is there's constant movement and then end but while that constant movement is going on there's also more constant movement coming behind it and more behind it and more behind it and more behind it what's the purpose of it all what's the purpose of it all is Simple question. He also says this, if you look, he says, but the earth remains forever. Again, that's an under-the-sun concept. We would understand that it seems like, seems like our world is going to be here forever because as far as we know, as long as I've been on the earth, it's been here. Can I say that to you? So the concept that he recognizes is this. This is what happens on the earth. There's one generation followed by the next, 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 followed by the next. And is any generation better than the next? Well, they're basically all different, but they're just generations. What's the meaning of it all is the question he's asking. Verse 5 said the sun rises and the sun goes down. Y'all ever seen that stuff happen before? That's crazy. Sun comes up. I think it's east. Is that right? And then it goes down. I think it's west. And if you missed it today, check it out tomorrow. Because it's going to do that thing again. And so under the sun, with his resources, what he's doing, he's saying, hey, what is the purpose of the sun coming up? What's the purpose of the sun going down? Oh, wait a second, here it comes again. What's the purpose of the sun coming up? Well, there it goes, Emma. And, and it's going down again. Wait a second, now let, let's stop this for a second. No, 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 here it comes again. Why is it doing that? That's the simple question. Why do we see the sun come up and the sun go down? Is it so the sun can come up and the sun can go down? That seems senseless. There's no value in that for us. There's no meaning in life in that. That's just sun comes up, sun goes down. Sun comes up, sun goes down. It gets better. It says it hastens to the place in verse 5 where it rises. Let's look at then number six, the wind. The wind blows to the south and then goes around to the north, around and around the wind 
goes the wind, and on the circuits, the wind returns. So it says, wind blows in, wind blows out. Wind blows in, wind blows out. Wind blows in, wind blows out. Oh, oh, sometimes the wind blows in, and then it blows out. Why? Is there any value in that in any kind of way? He's simply noting, investigating, if you will, hey, there's stuff happening in my life, and it doesn't seem to really have a point. It doesn't really seem to have a purpose, an end. We just see constant movement, and eventually it's gone. He goes on. He says, uh, verse 7, he says, The stream, streams run into the sea. Oh, well, that's going to really help out a lot, right? That sea's going to get filled up, and then something exciting's going to happen. Oh, no, actually, as the sea, as the streams run into the sea, then there's the sea running into streams, and so it, kind of runs in and runs out, and the sea kind of, I mean, hey, it just kind of stays there, it seems like. He's observing, I'm on earth for a reason. The sea is on earth for a reason. What's the point in all of this? Kind of a weird question, you would say. He says in verse 8, he says, All things are full of weariness. And a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, and the ears, uh, nor is the ear filled with hearing. So he talks about not just this endless enclosure, but the second thing that you'll see on your sheet there, he's going to talk about how life is just something that it, it seems like it, it, it really can't be fathomed. It can't really fully be embraced. Now, what we would recognize is this. We would say, hey, there's some places on this planet that I've never seen. Anybody got one of those? One of your, we would say, bucket list places. But we've got some places on this earth that I've never seen that I would like to see. All right? Um, And so the concept that he brings is this. Is there any place on earth that you could go and see something that's not really ever been seen before? Now, I've been on some Mississippi dirt roads, and let me tell you something. Y'all couldn't find them from here. But the idea is pretty much... If we look at the generations from generation to generation that's been before us, do you know that, I mean, just think with me about this, pretty much everything that can be seen on this earth, somebody's laid eyes on it before me. So he, he kind of paints this picture, if you will. There's, he says, these, these things you see, there's nothing new to really say. right? Oh, I got something to tell you. Okay, well, pretty much... There's no new news. Have you ever seen that? Where you turn on the news and you're like, oh my gosh, that's the first time ever that that's possibly in the creation of all the world ever happened. Let me sum up the news for you as I see it. Usually somebody got shot or somebody got stabbed, somebody got arrested, or somebody broke out of jail. And then there's politics. And sometimes that is politics. But, but anyway, so the concept that he uh, observes here is this. There's really nothing new under the sun, he says. There's nothing new to tell, nothing new to see, nothing new to hear. It's pretty much everything that we could dream to ever experience has at some level, in some way, already been experienced. Right? I'm telling you, come back for Mother's Day. Same text. It's going to be great. But the concept here, we say, what is this doing in the Bible? He wants us to realize that if you're looking for something phenomenal, and we do this a lot of times, especially with the Bible, we're looking for uniqueness. 
man, I achieved this, and no one ever before has achieved it. Can I say to you, there's a good statistical shot. It's been done. Now, catch this. You say, well, that, that's not a very good high school graduate message, Brother Casey. Great, let's look in verse 10. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already, it's already been, it has been already in the ages before us. And he says, verse 11, love verse 11, there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. So basically what he says is this, if you'll look back, we can't really remember what happened in the past. It was really significant, I'm sure, but we really can't recall it. For example, who won the Super Bowl in 2006? Someone? Quit Googling. Information age, Brother Casey. We can't seem to remember things that in February were really extremely, we thought, life-altering. Is that strange for you? Oh, man, i got to tell you, if the Cubs don't win, I don't remember if they won or not. I think they did one time. Didn't they? A hundred years, they didn't won one time. Yeah, I think. But that was, was that last year? Is that right? What's that now? Year before last or three years? Which one was it? 2016. Very good. Thank all of you for your help. That was wonderful. Here's the idea. We can't seem to remember the huge, life-altering events that were five years ago, six years ago, ten years ago, some of us ten minutes ago. But we can't seem to remember things from the past. And if you really want to be logical about this, can I say this to you? What's happening today is going to be forgotten tomorrow. Let's pray. Altar call time. The, the concept for us, he has researched life, and he is crying out, let me find meaning here. Let me find purpose here. One of the greatest fears that should be in our life is this, is that you would one day have a job and that you would wake up in the morning and go to that job and work that job until you're exhausted and come home and go to bed and then wake up the next day and go to that job again and work that job till you're exhausted and then go to bed and wake up the next day and do that job because you feel like you didn't get it all done. And then you just keep working and keep working and keep working. And wouldn't it be a tragedy for us if after 20, 30, 40, 50 years of doing that, you got to the end and felt... Like you didn't accomplish anything. Like you didn't really achieve anything. Like the whole world kept moving and going and didn't even notice you. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? And this is what the author of Ecclesiastes is pointing out. He's saying, hey, I'm sitting here and I'm living life and I'm doing life the best that I can do life and I'm noticing these things around me and i got to tell you that none of this stuff really in the end seems to be bringing me what I'm looking for. I'm searching for something in this life. I want to find something in this life and it is going to, what's that word? Fulfill me. And what I don't want to do, can I share my heart with you? I don't want to spend my life chasing something 
that won't ever fulfill me. If that happens, what in the world am I doing? So you say, Pastor, you're bumming me out. There's many churches I've passed on the way over here. Right. So here's the concept. Here's what I want to present to you. As we see the introduction then, this is, you'll see, this is about half, a little more than half, of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. He introduces the idea of the entire book. And he says, I want to let you know something. I have in general observed all the world around me, and I'm trying to figure out what will fulfill me. What will fulfill me? And so I want you to pop down with me, and we'll get into next week's text just a little bit. But I want you to look with me for an example. There's a, there's a phrase that pops up, I think, six, seven, maybe eight times in Ecclesiastes. But if you're in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 14, I want to invite you to drop down with me just for a second. And I want you to see this. It's going to translate a little bit different if you have different translations, and that's okay. I think the meaning is going to still be there from the original, Greek, uh, from the original Hebrew text. You ready? Verse 14, I have seen, he writes, Everything that is done, here's our expression, under the sun, that's one expression we say comes up a lot in Ecclesiastes, under the sun, from my perspective, as far as I can see with my physical eyes in this physical world, that's under the sun. But look what he says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity. That's the second expression that pops up a lot. It is, and maybe your Bible says, it's all meaningless. It's all like smoke. It is here, constantly moving, and then eventually just kind of disappears. Everything in life is like that. Records are like that. Lives are like that. So here's the concept. The third expression that comes up a lot is this. All is vanity and a striving, a striving after wind. A striving after wind. And I did that as, I'd say, I'd say I did that as a kid. I did this recently, actually. Y'all ever seen one of those really cool things that's just kind of out, usually out in a parking lot or something like that, where the wind starts to whirl around and it picks up a couple of leaves. We say, we like to say it's a tornado because we're from Mississippi. But it's just a little bitty wind swirl. And how many of you have ever run out into one of those things and tried to just, just be in the center of that? Anybody ever done that before? You bunch of liars, I swear. Uh, you. I was like, do you know what that is? Uh-huh, uh-huh. You ever run out there? Mm-mm, no, no. Mm-mm. Here's the idea. What'd you catch? Nothing. Nothing. And he says, here's the risk that you run in life. You possibly, if you're not careful, and we're talking about reality here, you could spend your whole life running out into that wind, trying to grab onto something that's not real. Now, what Ecclesiastes should do for us is make us aware of certain things. I don't want to waste my life like that. I don't want you to waste your life like that. Well, no, I've got career ambitions. Did you know you're not the first one? Well, I've got relationship goals. Did you know you're not the first one? Well, I've got big dreams. That's great. And understand this, church. Nowhere in Ecclesiastes does he say, stop dreaming. I want to show you that. 
But he does say this. Be careful that what you're chasing is not going to leave you feeling empty. It's not going to leave you feeling abandoned and unfulfilled, dissatisfied. So how do you protect against that? So I want to just walk you through, and there's, there's four quick points I wanted to show you, church. There's four quick points, and I put this in a form of a dare. And I think about my favorite movie, of course, and it's not extremely biblical. You say, well, favorite Christmas movie, that's got to have something to do with Jesus. Okay, so the Christmas story. You remember a Christmas story? And the Christmas story, they're all standing outside around the flagpole. It's my favorite scene, except for that whole bunny suit thing. But they're all standing around that flagpole, right? And they're daring this dude. They say, well, we've, you know, we've heard that if you stick your tongue there, that this will happen, this will happen. And so the guy's like, no, no, if I stick my tongue to a cold, frozen flagpole, nothing's going to happen, right? And the way that you get little boys to do anything is you say what? I dare you. Oh, well, yeah, well, I would, but, you know, mama's looking for me supper and say, I got, I double dare you, right? And then dude skips all the way over the next step, and he says, I triple dog dare you. And you can't back out of a triple dog dare. You can't do it. You can't keep your manhood that way. And here's the thing, what I was thinking of is I'm, I'm seeing this text, and I know it's confusing for us. I know it's a little depressing, a little dark for us. We're not used to talking about things like this in church. Can I say to you, I'm scared that some of us in here are chasing the wind. And we think that we're special, so that means that because Jesus loves us, that we're going to actually catch the wind and be satisfied. And I want to tell you what the Bible says to you. Don't devote your entire life to chasing something that's going to leave you feeling empty. So I dare you, I dare you to think about these four things, to actually apply these four things. First is this, I dare you, and we'll spell a little acrostic, we'll do the D-A-R-E. That spells dare, y'all. Just want to make sure you still, all right, so the idea is this. First, from the book of Ecclesiastes, I dare you to define your desire. I dare you to define your desire. And I'll show you this verse. If you'll look over with me, you'll see on the screen. But just turn over a page. I want you to see this in the actual text. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, I alluded to this last week, but I want to show you. So you can kind of just highlight it and prepare as we b- preach through the book verse by verse. I want you to see that what we're coming to here. Here's what he says. Here's what the preacher says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. He says, God has made everything beautiful in its time, Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. That's the only place in Scripture that I know of that that phrase pops up. God has placed eternity into your heart. Now, one of the ways that's commonly misinterpreted is this. Some people say since God has placed eternity in your heart, that means that God has sealed for you eternal life and that every person has eternal life inside of them. And I'd say partially, partially that could be right. As long as you don't say it this way, not every person that you know is going to go to heaven because you want them to go to heaven. We would say that instead, God has made them an eternal being. 
And so you are, you are, you are, you are an eternal being. And everybody up in here and everybody that you'll encounter this week, I want you to know God has placed eternity in their heart. So accurately we would say this, everybody that I cross paths with is going to exist eternally. God set that. That's done. There is no one who will go to the grave and rot. No, 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 no. The Bible instructs us in this way, that though your outer self, your tent, your physical body will go to the grave and rot, but one day there will be a final judgment, and you, your soul especially, will stand before God. And you will continue to exist for all of eternity. Now, the difference here, so we accurately interpret this, we accurately translate this, we want to understand, church, that means this, Everybody will exist for eternity, not everybody will exist with God for eternity. Your lost, unregenerate friends, family members, so we keep this in front of us and we allow this to stir us, they are chasing after the wind. And God has determined that they will live eternally but he has not determined that they guaranteed from birth in their sin will be with him forever. So what we see very clearly is this. There is desire inside of every person on the face of the earth. You say, well, my, my, my desire, Brother Casey, is for football. I love I love football. I've got a desire for football. My desire, my desire is for money, and I love money, and I'm going after money. And my desire is for, for, for women, maybe you say. I just love women. I want to go after as many women as I can. Everybody's got desire. What I invite you to do from Ecclesiastes is identify this. The desires that burn inside of you, they are placed there by God because He has put inside of you this awareness we're all going to be in existence forever. And we have this void that's inside of us that's caused by God's absence in our sinful, lost lives. So well, I'm just I'm trying to fill up my life with this and 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 this. You have just described what the author of Ecclesiastes has spent his life doing. Soon as I get this promotion, you have a desire for a promotion. Soon as I get to this point in my marriage, you have a desire for a certain kind of relationship. And desire definitely comes from God. But it comes from God for God. You see, the only thing in my life that can satisfy me is my Creator. And me being restored in relationship to my Creator. So as we pursue things, and understand, hear this clearly. Does the Bible say we should not pursue sports, academics, finances? No, 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 no. The Bible doesn't say that we shouldn't pursue that. The Bible says that we must pursue those things, but that should remind us, when I have a desire for something, it's because I'm missing God in my life. And He is the only one who can bring me what Jesus said in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way to God. I am the truth about God. And I am the life that comes only from God. Unfortunately, church, we understand this to mean 
Well, that means that Jesus gives us the good life. Yeah, Jesus is the good life. So our desire is in our sinfulness misguided. So we say, hey, i got to work a job for sure. We're going to talk about that. But what I should ultimately see, I need Jesus in my life. My desire should be for Jesus. Second letter is this. We're spelling dare. D is for desire. I dare you to figure out where your desire comes from. Think about that with me. Letter A. As we look at letter A, we talk about activity. And so graduates, I say this to you specifically. I say this to all of our church members. And I want to say this and as politically friendly as I possibly can. The Bible would instruct you to not be a freeloader who constantly has your hand out waiting for people to walk, walk you through life, carry you through life, provide for you in every possible way, and you just sit by and have expectations. The Bible says our life is filled with activity. That's the concept of, by the way, chasing. Chasing. And I don't know if you're ever there with me, but some mornings I wake up, usually Monday, and when I wake up on Monday, I usually say, I don't want to be an adult anymore. I don't want to be an adult anymore. I tried it last week, and it stunk. You know? Because I'd wake up, and every time I wake up on Monday, i got to tell you, Monday I wake up, and I keep telling them to stop it, but students keep coming to school. I'm like, stop. Stop. Listen. Get a life. And I tell them, hey, listen, if you're going to come in here, we're going to have to be here together. So I got up and got dressed. So buckle up. Because we're going to be active. We're going to go. I mean, I'll go and I'll go and I'll go and I'll go and I'll go. Class after class, that bell keeps ringing. I page office. Quit ringing the bell. But they keep ringing the bell. More and more students keep coming in. And I say to you, we go and we go and we go and we go. We make it to the end. The last bell. Woo! The last bell. Teacher, last bell. Y'all ever hear that one? Last bell on Monday. Is the last bell right before the first bell on Tuesday? You ever experienced that? Oh, the last bell on Friday? Honestly, is the last bell you hear before the first bell on Monday. Our lives, church, are supposed to be filled with activity. Look at the verse. This is in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and he is talking about the meaningless of life, and I see this. Here's what he says in verse 10. Whatever, verse 10, Acts not, uh, excuse me, Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10, he says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. There's never instruction in the Bible that would encourage you to say, hey, stop being active and life will become fulfilling. Can you hear it? You're going to reach a point in your life where you won't have any responsibility whatsoever is a lie from hell. You're always going to be responsible in your marriage. You're always going to be responsible in your relationships. You're always going to be responsible to your neighbor. You're always going to be responsible to your yard. What is with the sunshine and the rain and just coordinating the grass coming up? You're always going to have some level of responsibility, and that's going to promote inside of you some level of activity. The one thing that our culture tends to do currently is this. It says, hey, listen, there's some of you who don't have a responsibility to be active. 
You don't have a responsibility to go out and find a job. You don't have a responsibility to earn money. It's not biblical. It's not biblical. We are in a chase. And we're chasing. That's activity. We're chasing. And so I invite you to consider this. Life, I dare you to always find activity where you're going. That's definitely a teaching from the Bible. Now, R then becomes this. If you'll look up behind me, the R, we go from uh, th this idea of a desire inside of us to activity. And when you put those two together, we're looking now at results. Look with me. And this is verse 11 that we saw in chapter 1. I'm mindful of my time, so let me move through this. It says, There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to, yet to be among those who come after. This does not say that you should stop pursuing results. Well, it don't matter. Let me just give up. No, 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 no. When I put desire with activity, I should expect results. The thing, church, that I want to challenge you to do is this. My dare to you is to look for eternal results and not temporary results. Look in your life at how you can have desire for God mixed with activity for God that you surrender daily to Him. And when you put those two together, that's going to be eternal results for God. So let me say, go to work tomorrow. Go to work tomorrow. Looking and anticipating that where God has placed you to work, you are a light to the world around you. You are salt to the earth that is around you. And as you go, keep going, expecting results. Allow God's desire to burn inside of you, seeing that it's burning inside of other people, and point them, point them. Let your activity be with the work that you do. Do work with all your might. Do it as if you're doing it for the Lord, it's Colossians 3.23. And as we work in this daily chasing we're doing it for the glory of God. Hey, it might seem mundane, but ultimately, since you're there, surrounded by other people who don't know Jesus, it's possible that you are the example for them, that you are the word they will hear, so that they will be part of an eternal harvest. Man, if you could see your workplace, if you could see your classroom as a place of potential eternal harvest, it changes the way you approach Monday. Lastly, is this. We ultimately come back, the letter E, we come back from the desire mixed with the action, looking for the results, and then we get to this very last part. Look with me at the end. And I want you to turn. This is the most important verse in all of the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're done. The most important verse in all of Ecclesiastes is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, he brings us to the end of the matter. Chapter 1 is discouraging because we say there's nothing meaningless. There, there, there's nothing that means anything. There's nothing that's good. There's nothing that seems to bring me fulfillment. There's nothing that brings me contentment. Chapters 2 through 11, he's like, I tried this, and I tried this, and I was empty, and I tried this, and I was sad, and I tried this, and I was unfulfilled, and I tried this, and I tried this, and I tried everything under the sun. And he says in 111, if I go out today thinking I'm going to find something that he didn't try, I'm wrong. You say, oh, well, man, there's always, there's technology. Yeah, and we'll study in Ecclesiastes. I want to present this to you. This, 
this preacher had resource to where at night, Toby, he would hire a choir to come into his bedroom and they would sing soothing songs to him thinking that that would satisfy his soul. That's a dude with resource and that's a guy with what we call iPod or earbuds. And so the concept, I'm not going to find anything new. So at the end of the book, we finally get to a, a chapter where we say, thank you, Jesus. And he says, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, the end of the matter, me searching for meaningness, me searching for value, me searching for something that's lasting and fulfilling, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his, his commandments. And he says, this is the whole duty of man. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to have a desire. He's given me one. I'm supposed to live my life with activity, absolutely. But I should expect eternal results because of this. There will come a day when I will stand before God. You will too. And when you do, and when I do, He's not going to say, so, how high up the ladder did you climb? Oh, how much money did you make? Wow, that's impressive. Because I, I've never seen a bunch of money before. He's not going to say these things to us. Oh, wow. How many home runs did you hit? How many touchdowns did you score? Woo! Congratulations. God is going to say to us, Hey, I created you in my image so that you would live for me. How'd you do with that? I was there. I was giving you my Holy Spirit to help you. I was giving you the church to help you. I was giving you my word to help you. I gave you my son Jesus to help you. You were created. I was created to live life beyond the sun. To live life in such a way where at the end of it all, I stand before God and say, hey, here I am for you. For you. I'm here for you. I was created to walk in relationship with God and to do what he's led me, what he equips me, what he qualifies me to do. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, as we come to you today, uh, cover the entire book of Ecclesiastes. Cover the entire book, just an overview of the entire book of Ecclesiastes today, God. And I hope that we would hear. And as we hear, there are certain things we're challenged to do. We're challenged to find a desire inside of us that comes from you and recognize that you're the only one that can fulfill that. We're challenged to pursue activity, not laziness. No, we're challenged to go after activity. We're challenged to be active in this life, but to be active for a reason, for you. God, we're challenged to look for eternal results. God, help us with the souls that are around us. They were created with eternity in their hearts eternity in their hearts use us god to do more than be a friend let us be an influence and lord help us to evaluate and weigh today that one day one day we will stand before you and you're going to ask us hey i'll put you there on earth everybody's chasing after meaningless stuff what did you do with me? How did you respond to me? How did you love me? How did you walk with me? How did you love your spouse through me? How did you build relationships for me? 
How did you pursue career so that I would get glory through that? How did you live your life so that you could chase after and know personally the revealed, holy, loving God? Lord, as we go out of this place, we pray that you would grant us the afternoon that the sun would come up and that the sun would go down and the sun would come up and go down again tomorrow. Lord, spare us, save us from the mundane Christian life. Fill us with purpose for you. And it's these things we pray in your name. Amen.